this morning. I feel like we got teased this, earlier this week with the warm weather, and then woke up this morning at 16 degrees. Um, not fun. I'm glad. I'm happy that um, we were able to make it out today, brave the cold. Um, I just want to welcome everyone to Faith Bible Fellowship. If this is your first time, feel free to find someone after service, shake someone's hand. We'll love to meet you and greet you and just get to get to know who you are. So we, we live in a world where it's technology, it's a media-driven world where, where we have access to just about everything we want at, at our fingertips. Any, any song that we want to listen to, any music or, or, or movies that we want to listen to, it's, it's, we have access to it in, within our finger, fingertips. We can have everything we want within moments. The news. We can we can always be connected to the world through in our work and our emails because they get sent to our phones. So we live in a world where it's easily we become easily influenced by the world. Where because we have such access to everything, because everything's at our fingertips, we can. There, there's not a day that that goes by. There's not a moment that goes by where we're not somehow staying connected. And by staying connected, essentially we're being influenced by the world. There's days where where I'm. I'm at work and, and I don't, I'm having a, a, a pretty good day. Then I get some notification on my phone, whether it's a sports notification or whatever it may be. And all of a sudden, my, my day is ruined because cause my favorite team has traded one of their players or whatever it may be. And so we get influenced so easily but by the world because we can stay connected. Your mood can change in an instance with some notification that just comes across your phone. So we live in a world where where we're easily influenced, where, where everything is technology and media-driven, and at a moment's notice, we're influenced in a way that, that maybe we weren't before, that, that we weren't really thinking about, about things before, but now that this notification has come across our phone, now we're, we're influenced. And so we come to a passage in, in James where, where he, he warns the church, he warns the people that he's speaking to, to, to not be influenced by the world. He's, he's warning them about the influence that they allow into their lives, they allow to creep into their daily lives, that ultimately reflect, affect everything else in their life. So we're going to see today that, that James is given this, this really strict, this really hard warning against being influenced by the world, being influenced by our own selfish desires, by, by influence that should not be influencing us. So we're going to be through the book of, um, through chapter 4, kind of just make our way through the whole chapter today. So if you're with me, can you please turn to James 4? What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot contain, obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is, it is no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. 
Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and be mourned and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and one judge, who he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know that tomorrow, what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Let's pray. Father God, we, we come before your throne and we throw ourselves before your mercy and your grace, Father God. And we ask that you be with us today, Lord, as, as we dive into your word, as we dive into the, the very thing that you've given us that's meant to edify us, that is meant to, to help us grow, Father God. May this time be a time of growth. Lord, may we, may we be able to examine our own lives and see where we fall short of your glory, Lord. That we're able to see where we are following the passions, our own passions, and not following you, Lord. Be with us today. Keep us safe today, Lord. We thank you for giving us this place where we're able to come and sit and be under your, the study of your word, Father God. That we're able to sit comfortably, Lord, and get away from the elements, Lord. Bless us this day. We ask that you eliminate any distractions, Lord, that we're able to hone in and receive whatever it is that you have us received, Father God. That, that, that we're able to, to hear you speak to us today, Lord. And that you convict us where we need to be convicted, Lord. That, that the areas that we need to get rid of, Lord, that, we're, that we get rid of them and we, and we just submit ourselves to your will, Father God. Be with us today, Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be humbling to this, this congregation. So we start off and we see, as I read the scripture this week, one of the things that stood out to me and, and the main idea, the main point that I like to express is that a lack of trust in God and in his ways leads to quarrels amongst the body and ultimately leads to us being in enmity with God. It leads us to be, be in, in distension with God when we don't trust God, when we have a lack of trust in God and his ways. Oftentimes it leads where we're in this tension with God. And we see this in verse 1. What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? As the King James says, it's our, their lusts are at war with them. It just paints this picture that, that the passions and oftentimes desires that we have in our lives, that we elect, that we let influence us in the way we think and the way we interact with people, oftentimes they're, they're, they're evil. As, like I said, the King James translates, your lust. It is not these, your lust are at war within you. It's your evil desires. 
our emotions, our pleasures, they oftentimes lead us to fight amongst one another and leads, leads us to a place where we have this enmity with God, where we're no longer submitting ourselves to God, but, but we think we know what's best for our lives, and therefore we know what's best for the people around us. And, and, it's, and it leads to fighting, and it leads to quarrels amongst the, amongst, amongst the body of, of, of believers. James is here. He's getting that directly at what what's happening here in the beginning of, of verse four. It's completely against what's happening, what happened, what James calls us at the end of chapter three, where he says, "Be peacemakers." And so that's not what's happening here. They're not being peacemakers. They're fighting. They have this the disagreement, and these aren't just little disagreements amongst the body. This is these are battles. You know, he uses the language in verse two: "You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel." These little disagreements that perhaps weren't a big deal, but because the people are not submitting themselves to God, they're not, a lot, they're not checking themselves at the door, their egos. They're allowing themselves to be influenced by their own passions, by their evil desires. It leads to big fights and big disagreements amongst the body. And it happens because they're not aligning themselves with God. They're allowing their own self-centered passions. They're allowing whatever it is that, that, that they're influenced that's not God. And we see that the hardest thing for people to do is to check themselves at the door. It's to check their egos before, before they come into to, to, um, to an agreement, before they come to meet with people. They, they don't check their, their emotions. They don't check, check their passions at the door. So they come in with their own desires, with their own things in mind. And we see... The desire you do not have, so you murder. And it's they're not content with where they're at. They they see what what the neighbors have. They see where they want to be. They they're not content with where God currently has them. So they look at other people and they want. You desire you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. These people are are not satisfied. They they don't have enough trust in God to believe that God has them right where they are, that God has given them the very things that they need, and they don't trust God in that. They believe we can say all that we want, that we believe that God is sovereign, but oftentimes our actions say differently. We always want more. We always want to move to the next thing. We are never content with, with this current season that God has us in. So we look at other people and we want. And out of that, that selfish desire, out of, out of those evil passions, we act out. And it leads to fights. It leads to quarrels. It leads to, to wars in a sense. And he, and he uses very, very harsh language here. So you, you, do, you desire you do not have, so you murder. Just how... how just how bad they want it, that they're willing to do whatever it takes to get what they want. And we're never, we're never content in our current season, whether it's bad or good. Sometimes God has us in a great season, and, and we're growing, and, and we have great fellowship with, with people and with, with our spouse. But we're always wanting to go on to the next thing. We're always wondering what is next, and we're never fully in what God has us right now. We never take joy, we never take pleasure in what God has us, whether it's good or bad. We're always focused on what's to come next. He goes on in verse 2, you do not have because you do not ask. These, be careful that, that your passions, your desire to have what, what, what is not meant for you leads people to not pray. 
They're so caught up in their own passions. They're so caught up in their own desires that they can even take the time of day to just bow down to their God and pray. They're so caught up in being influenced and living in the world that they can't stop for a single moment, for a single second, and pray to God. We, 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 this happens a lot of times in our lives where we're so on the move that we want to move on to the next thing. We're busy with work and our family's busy with this and that, that we oftentimes do not even stop. That the first thing that gets compromised is our time with God. We're so busy. We're so want to move on to the next thing that we don't even take the time. The first thing that we give up is, is our prayer time. The first thing that, that, that we give up is, is our prayer, is our time in the word. Be careful not to be so influenced by the world that you want to be busy, that you do not stop and pray to God, that, that, that you don't stop and, and spend time with the Lord. He goes on in verse 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. This idea that often they're being so influenced by the, by, by, by the world that, that they pray wrongly that they're praying according to their own desires, that they're not in, in complete submission to God's will. Ultimately, there is no reverence, there is no real fear of God. That the things they're asking for are things that, that they know they should not be asking for, but yet they, they ask. They can't even contain their own self. Oftentimes, being, being influenced by the world leads us to pray for things, asking for things that we know are sin, that we know that God doesn't agree with, that God calls us not to do, but yet because we're being so influenced by, by outside influences instead by God, that we pray for those things that we know are wrong. They, they're, they're asking according to their own, they're praying according to their own passions. They ask according to their own desires, not what God is asking them to do. 1 John 5, 14 to 15 says, And this is the confidence that we have toward him, if that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, and whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. We pray according to God's will. We pray not according to our own desires, but according to what God wants us to have. That we, we, we stay submitted to God. And if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. That we pray according to our spirit, not according to our flesh, not according to our evil desires. But we pray, we pray asking God to do what he needs to do. Whether it's what we want or not, we pray according to God's will. John Calvin put it this way. They did not receive because they wished to make God the minister of their own lusts. This idea that, that they were trying to make God their own personal ATM. They were praying for things that they should not be praying for. And they knew that they shouldn't be praying for it, but they were still asking for it. Out of their own selfish, their own evil desires. Oftentimes we need to check ourselves at the door. Sometimes for me, I have to, even before I pray, I have to make sure that I pray to God and say, God, may, may I just pray 
according to you or not, that I'm not influenced by anything that's happening in the world, that's anything that's happening to me, that I'm not influenced by, by the argument that I just had, that I'm not influenced by the situation I'm in, but that I'm praying according to your will, God. These people are so influenced, so influenced by the world that he calls them adulterers. In verse 4, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. The people that James is speaking to, they're cheaters. They've been unfaithful to God's word. And he calls them adulterers, you adulterous people. He says, you, do, you not, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. This idea that, that friendship here to me, it's this indication that their willingness, they're willing to subject themselves to the world. That they do not resist the world, but they, they, they want to be friends with the world, and therefore they willingly leads, they, it leads to just a willingness to just be subject to the world, which in essence leads to slavery to the world. That you're not, you're not putting up a fight, that you want to be influenced, you want to be liked by the world so much that you'll do whatever they ask of you. In essence, that leads, this willingness to subject ourselves to the world ultimately leads to slavery to the world. They're not putting up a fight. They, they have, their desires are leading them to just want the things that aren't of God. And that ultimately leads to slavery to the world. Choosing the comfort of the world over God. Choosing the things that, that the world can give us that we feel like God can't. The relationships that perhaps God is calling you out of a relationship, but you, don't, but you, you find so much comfort in that relationship that you're not willing to give that up. Perhaps God is asking you to move on from, from something, from a job, or move on from, from, from other people, but you find so much other things in there that you can't even do what God is asking you to do. And this type of friendship, this, this type of slavery to the world ultimately puts us at ill will with God. It makes us an enemy of God. There's hostility there because of our willingness to, be, to subject ourselves to the world. Because we want to be friends of the world, we, we choose not to be friends of God. In essence, when you love the world more than God, you are committing adultery. And this is only true of, the, of those who profess faith in, in Christ Jesus. Because we should know better. We should know that friendship of the world is something that God calls us against. 1 John 2:15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Matthew 6, 24 tells us that, that we cannot serve two masters, for either you will hate one or love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. We cannot have friendship with the world. Having friendship with the world means that we are at odds. We have this hostility with God. And he calls these people adulterers. You have been unfaithful to God himself. And this is very harsh language that James uses here to say. You need to submit and give your life to God. 
If anything outside of that, you are unfaithful to God's word. Not that you don't have faith in God. You, you believe in God, but you're unfaithful to God's word, to what he's called you out of, to what he's called you to do. He says, you adulterous people. Moving on in verse 5. Or do you suppose it is not the purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? This idea, this isn't a direct quote in scripture. You're not going to find this in other areas of scripture, but I think it's still true to what scripture is getting at. That God desires to have this unity with his people. That God desires to, he yearns to have unity with his spirit that is within us. And it's a sense he's jealous of that. It's what belongs to him. Last week we talked about what, what, what kind of jealousy this is. This is the same type of jealousy that a husband has for his wife or a wife has for her husband. It's, God is jealous because it's what, it's what belongs to him. It's rightfully his. We were made to worship God, and God yearns for that. He longs for, for that unity, for that worship within us. Ultimately, God wants to have fellowship with his elect, with the spirit that he's put in us. He yearns for that. That's something that I, I, I find comfort in, in that, that God has a desire. He wants to spend time with me. He wants me to give my life. He, he's calling me to him. Verse 6, he gives grace but he gives more grace, therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This has always been, this is just a story of, of, of scriptures. Every, every Bible story we read, this is what, what God is about. He's about giving grace to the humble. He saves those who we, who we think are not going to be saved. He uses those who, we, who are least likely. God wants us to humble ourselves before him. This is at the heart of scriptures. We see this in Psalms 18, 25 to 27. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the, pure, with the purified, you show yourself pure. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. Proverbs 3:34. Towards the scorners, he is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. God calls us to humble ourselves before him. That, that in order for us to serve God, in order for us to, to, to be fully submitted to the will of God, that there's a humbling that has to take place. We have to be willing to say, God, I give my life to you. And it doesn't come easy. It's a very, it's, it's a very humbling act that has to occur for us to submit ourselves to God. The way, the way he calls us in verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I believe James chose his, his wording very carefully here. When he says, submit yourselves to God. He doesn't say obey God. He says submit. There's a difference between submitting and obeying. My son doesn't really do either. But, but there's a difference for us. Submission to God goes further than obedience. 
Obedience does not require submission, but submission to God requires obedience. There's people out there who will obey the commandments of God, but do not submit themselves to God's will, who do not humble themselves before God and serve him, but will still follow the Ten Commandments. They still follow some of what Scripture says, but there's not a true submission to God and his will and his way. The Christian life shouldn't work like the way we, we follow the speed laws. Where we see a cop around or we know areas that where the cop is at, we slow down and we obey those laws. But then when we know that there's no one looking, we speed up. Submission to God shows that, that no matter what you may feel, no matter where you may be at life, you choose to obey God in his ways. That whether we feel like God is watching us or not, we still submit, we still obey his ways. It is through submission that we start to grow. It is through submission that we can start to resist the devil. There's a reason why James uses this, this, this type of, he goes from submit yourselves to God, therefore, and then resist the devil and he will flee from you. If we submit ourselves to the will of God, then resisting the devil becomes just easier. Not, not that it gets, not the devil just stops tempting us, that he stops coming after us, but it does get a little bit easier to, to restrain to, 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 to resist the devil. This idea, this, this is, to me, it's very active language. To resist the devil and he will flee from you. Do not entertain the devil. Do not put yourselves in compromising positions. Right? To resist the devil is not to say, I'm going to go here knowing that this is what I struggle with. I'm going to put myself in a situation just to see how, how strong I am in God. That's not wise of the Christian. To resist the devil is to be active, is to know where you fall short and to take proper, proper stances, proper circumstances to avoid that. Ephesians 4, 25-27 says, Therefore, but... Put away falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are all members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. The way we resist the devil is by first submitting to God. You submit to God. You give your life to God and say, God, I'm going to put you in your proper place. That is above all things in my life, above my marriage, above my children, above my school, above my work. You are above all that. I submit to you, God. And then you draw near. You submit, you resist the devil. And then he says, draw near to God. Verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. James, James is calling us into action here. Draw near to God and he will draw near to, to you. Oftentimes, we feel, there are times in our lives where we feel like God is not close to us. You know, I have friends who, who, who came to me about four months ago and, and felt like, I just, I don't know what's wrong. I, I feel like God is not hearing me. He's, God is not there with me. I don't have that same type of relationship that I had with God like I did, you know, a month ago. And I asked my first question is, you know, well, how's your prayer life? Well, I, I just don't have time for that. Life is busy. Work is crazy. Well, well how, you know, what, what are you reading? What are you studying through right now? Well, well, well. 
I don't have time for that just yet. And so what happens is we alienate ourselves from God. When we feel like God is far from us, it's because we are far from God. Not that God is, is keeping himself from us. It's that we aren't doing the necessary things that we need to do to draw near to God. We can always draw near to God. God is there for us. It just requires work on our behalf. It requires us to say, you know what, I'm going to not look at, at this episode on Netflix. I'm going to put down the video game. I'm going to turn off the TV and I'm going to pray to God. I'm going to spend time in God's word. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Open your Bible. Spend time in prayer. God is there. John Calvin says that God is never wanting to us except when we alienate ourselves from God. That we, through Jesus Christ, through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, we have unlimited access to God. We can come to God in prayer at any time that we want, and we choose not to. And then we wonder why God is not close to us. We wonder why we struggle with so many things in in our lives. But you're not drawing near to God. You're not spending the time that you need to spend reading God's word or praying before God. And then you wonder why God isn't close to you. Zechariah 1.3 says, Therefore says, say to them, Thus declares the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the, God of, the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you. This idea that, that God is just, God is there for us. We just have to access that. We just have to take the proper steps to, to draw near to God. He goes on in verse 8. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Repent. Repent before God. A lot of times, the reason that we feel like God is far away is because we're not actively repenting in our lives. That we don't lead a life of, of repentance. That we, we're not calling out our own sin. Sometimes when we repent, we just, God, I've sinned today. I'm sorry. Forgive me. And, and, and we, we refuse to acknowledge the, the heart of the problem. You know, I read a book years ago that challenged me to just, when you pray, when you repent, call out your sin. Tell God, Lord, I'm an adulterer. Sorry, Lord, I'm a thief. I, I stole. I'm a liar. Take ownership of your sin. When you seek forgiveness from God, pray for those specific things. Don't just say a blasé prayer. God, forgive me for I have sinned today. No, tell God what you did. After a while, you'll get tired of calling yourself a thief. You'll get tired of calling yourself a liar or whatever it may be. But you need to own up to your sin and pray to God and and purify and sanctify your hearts. We need to check ourselves at the door. We have to pray to God and repent. Our, Our sin oftentimes is what gets in the way of us connecting to God, to drawing near to God. So we need to have an active life of repentance. Even the days where you feel like you, you shouldn't, there's no need to repent. There was probably an area in your life where you do need to repent of. So call out the sins in your life. Take ownership of them. And know that, that God is a loving and he's a forgiving God. And he, he's calling them to this repentance in verses nine. In verse 9. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. He's talking about these people who, 
who live according to the world, who are so influenced by the world that they don't even see their, their own sin in their life. That they spent time in laughter, but, but they, weren't, they weren't feeling the weight of their sin. We need to remember who God is. Remember that God is a holy, he is a righteous and just God. That at the core of who God is, is, is that he loves and he's merciful, but he's also a wrathful God. He's also a just God. He's a holy God. So don't misunderstand. Don't mistake God's judgment. Understand that God is holy. Therefore, James here is calling the people to repentance, and we need to be living a life that is full of repentance and turning away from our sin and asking God to give us the strength that we need to resist the devil. We can't be doing these things if we do not, first and foremost, submit ourselves to God in his way, in his will. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. God has always been about raising those who are less, who, who, who humble themselves before God. It takes a, it's a very humbling act to come, fall on your knees before a holy and righteous God and say, this is where I fall short, Lord. Please forgive me. But you cannot be exalted unless you humble yourselves before God. Was always in scripture it says there's always that humble yourself and God will exalt you. We see that countless times throughout scripture. So we humble and we submit to God in order to resist the devil. First Peter five, six through eleven says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firming your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, with him, restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. First and foremost, we have to humble ourselves before God. We have to, in essence, submit to God. The reason that, that, that the people who James is talking to is going through all their struggles, that they're fighting amongst each other, that there's so many quarrels, that they're judging one another the wrong way, that they're being partial towards people is because they haven't submitted themselves to God. That they, they may believe in God, but belief in God doesn't necessarily mean that we submit to him. There has to be a conscious act there where we say, Lord, I give everything up to you. It's a humbling act that just doesn't come easily. And after all, after all this, James goes back and he's speaking once again to those, those in, in chapter 3 about the misuse of the tongue. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? After all this, after all this of submitting and humbling yourselves before God, 
He's, he's speaking to Pacific people. Do not speak evil. Do not slander against your brothers. Well, you had this issue going on within the church at the time where people were judging one another. People were, were not really listening. They weren't taking their own plank out of their own eye, but they were judging others. They were acting like God. They wanted to play the role of God. And so they judged their brothers. In essence, they tried to put restrictions on their brothers. They're acting like the Pharisees of Jesus' times. They're putting restrictions on, on their own brothers and sisters of Christ that do not belong. This idea of what we see, what Paul speaks about in Romans 14, about not passing judgment on one another. He's calling us here to not put the restrictions on brothers and sisters that do not belong. Do not play the role of God. That God, at the end of the day, is the only lawgiver. He is the only judge. See that in verse 12. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. Ultimately, God is the only one who can save people. God is the only one who can condemn people. And what was happening amongst in this church is that people were, were taking that upon themselves. They were thinking, they felt like they could speak into some, some people's life and they can say, no, this is what you need to do. God is the only one who saves. He's the only one condemns. Be careful not to put yourself in that position. Be careful to not think of yourself that you are God. And that you can tell people what to do and what not to do. Ultimately, like I said earlier, this comes out of a, a heart where we're not, we say we believe in God's sovereignty. We say we believe in things of, uh, like that, but our actions do not speak it. It's good to believe in something. It's good to say that you believe in something, but it's a whole other thing to live according to that. Verse 13, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, he will, he will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. He, he's trying, to, he's trying to, to show these people that God is sovereign, that ultimately God is in control of everything. So why do you spend so much time focusing on things that do not matter, trying to make plans that aren't in line with God's will? Here we see that who James is talking about, it goes back, points back, points to verse 16. It is in you to boast. It's the boastful, it's the arrogant who James is speaking about here. He's not saying don't make plans. But he's saying keep your plans in perspective. That ultimately we are finite, that we don't know everything. So when you make plans, make them say, God, if it is your will, if you will this, Lord, it will happen. You can make all the plans you want, but if God has something different for you, that's what's going to happen. Keisha and I know this way too well. We made so many plans in life. We weren't supposed to be in York. We were supposed to be in D.C., graduating, both of us with our masters. I was supposed to get a museum job being a curator. But God had way different plans. 
And in the midst of that, it's, it's hard when you make plans and they're not what God has for you. Because then you start asking questions. Well, what, God, what do you want? What are we doing wrong? It's a humbling, humbling act to realize that, that God is going to lead you where he wants to lead you. It took us a while to be content with the fact that, that God, God is sovereign over our lives and what that looks like. That ultimately we can make plans, but we have to be okay with plans not going our way. If we're not okay with that, if we're not with plans not going our way, that's when we, go, we fall back and we fall back into the world and we start to trust God less. When we, we, we believe we know what's better for us. We, we believe we know what's best for us and we, we don't trust God. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do it this or that. We have to learn to be content with what God has given us or where God has put us. That despite how you may feel, the current season where you're at in life is exactly where God wants you. That as we, as, as elect, as God's chosen people, God has us exactly where we want. Despite all the good we may have, despite all the bad in our life, you are exactly where God wants you at. And, and, and the quicker that we come to accept that, that, that this season is where God wants us, the, 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 the closer we can, the more we can draw close to God, the more that we can pray before God and, and, and fight our, our selfish desires, fight our passions, and, and submit to the will of God. We have to put into action what we say, what we believe. We have to, if we say that God is sovereign, then our actions have to show that. It can't just be something that we say we believe because the scripture says that, but it has to be something that, that your life bears that, that your life shows that you believe that God is sovereign, that you give things up to God, and you ultimately, God, I am where you have me. Please use me during this time. Do what you need to do. All of our decisions must be based on our submission to God's will. That we have to be willing to submit to God. And that out of that, out of our submission to God's will, then all our other decisions are based out of that. So whoever knows what is right, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. We see here that that, that, that the Christians, that, that people who claim to be Christians, their sin is more grievous to God because they did not sin through ignorance, but, but, but they knew exactly what they were doing. They were sinning through their contempt for God. So whoever knows what the right things to do and fails to do it for him, it is in this idea that we know the difference between right and wrong. That we know what it means to serve God, what it means to follow God, but oftentimes we choose not to. Now that we have faith, now that, that, now that we serve a holy and righteous God, we're held more accountable for our actions. Sometimes what happens is, as, as believers is, is we are more concerned with other people's sin than our own. We are more... We are, we're more concerned with telling people, telling the world that they are wrong or they're, they're in sin than then share the gospel of Christ with them. 
we are held to a higher standard because we know right from wrong. There's people out there in the world that don't know. They sin out of their ignorance. We sin out of our arrogance, out of our, we know what God is calling us to do, but we choose not to do it. So when we, it would be a body of believers who first and foremost examine ourselves. That, that we check our egos at, are at the door. That we, we submit ourselves so much to the will of God that we don't worry about where God is taking us as a church. That we don't care where God is taking us as individuals. But know that we rest in God. That we are right where God has us. Right where God wants us. And we have to live that out. We have to fight and put to bed our evil desires, our evil passions, and trust that God is in control. Trust that God, he is sovereign. We should no longer be just about speaking that, but about living that out, about trusting God in your lives, that he has you exactly where he wants you. And because of that, you fight the world. You resist the devil. You you submit yourself to God. You humble yourself before the Lord. And saying, God, I give everything up to you. I submit my will, my life, my desires to you. And you pray according to that. You live according to that. You live according to the doctrines that we believe, to the theology that we hold to. That they're not just things that we believe because we like to believe them, but they're things that we believe because that's what the Bible says. And they have to impact us. They have to make a difference in our lives. Let's pray. Father God. We come before you, Lord, and we we ask that as we go through this week, as we go through the rest of this day, Lord, that we spend more time in your word, Lord, that we spend more time studying you, that we start to, to let the things that we truly believe affect us, affect our actions, affect the way we pray, affect how we interact with people, Lord, that because you are sovereign, because, because of that, you are in control of everything, Lord. That the errors in our life that we're unsure of, the errors that, that we don't want to give up to you, Lord, that we don't want to submit to you, Lord, that we submit those errors to you, Lord. Humble us so much, Lord, that we're willing to live a life of submission to your will, Father God. Not our own ways, not our own desires, but your will where you've called us to be, Lord. May we be a people who, who live according to what they believe, not to their desires, but according to your word, Father God. What your word reveals about you, Lord, may that be true in our actions, not just in our words. Lord, be with us as we go, go home today. Keep us safe on the road. May it be a day of blessing Maybe a day of joy with families. Maybe a day where we rest in you throughout the whole day. In your name we pray. Amen.